Uh, welcome everyone to Veritas. So glad you're here this morning. It has already been a great morning and, and uh, I'm excited for what, what we have from God's word and a story we're going to hear this morning. So we're going to read the text. Before, I just want to give this some context uh, with a little story. So um, my wife got a call this week from a friend and this friend was a, a parent in crisis entering the teen years. And the crisis on this call was our 13-year-old child refuses to go to youth group. Well, the context is uh, their, their child is. Now, this, this story would never happen here at our youth group. So this is another church in another town. I, it's just would never happen here. But, but their child uh, goes to youth group, 13-year-old, and uh, just doesn't fit in. Doesn't fit in. The small group, everyone kind of gets in their circle, and there's no room for them, and, and so they're just excluded. So going to youth group, uh, and all of you can identify with this, we've, we've been there, right? What's more terrifying than walking into a room and being excluded? One of the greatest human needs that we have, C.S. Lewis argues this in, in this uh, essay he wrote called The Inner Ring, one of the greatest human needs that we have is the need to belong. And conversely, one of the greatest fears that we have is the fear of being rejected, excluded, left out. So what does that 13-year-old do? They learn a new skill. It's maybe a skill that they didn't have to have through childhood. They learn this this skill. It's called the art of people-pleasing. Right? If you want to belong, what do you have to do? You have to start performing. You have to start doing stuff so that you can be in that group that you want to be in. Maybe you compromise, do things you wouldn't normally do, but, but that need to belong is so powerful it will cause people to do crazy things because they want to, be, they want to belong and they, the fear of being cast out. We have adult versions of this, right? Our little tribes that, that we want, you know, all the people that agree with us. And we, we just, we got to stay along in our tribe. Don't, don't upset anyone. We got to, we, we kind of know what this looks like in our lives. Well, that's the picture that Hebrews 13 paints of you and me in this world that we live in. And it really answers this question, where do we belong? So I want to read the passage. It's Hebrews 13, 8 through 16. We have two more weeks. Uh, Actually, uh, next week will be our last week in sort of the closing benediction about the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday, which reminds me I was supposed to give an announcement. Next week's Easter, Good Friday Easter. We'll talk about it at the end. It'll be great. Uh, Let's start in verse 8, Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be established by grace and not by food regulations, since those who observe them have not benefited. We have an altar from which those who worship at the tabernacle do not have a right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by the high priest as a sin offering are burned outside the camp. Therefore, 
Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace, for we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. So even if you're, new to, if, even if you're not new to the Bible, I, I think we all have to admit something before we start. This is kind of confusing, isn't it? It's talking about food regulations, animal carcasses being burned outside the camp, blood on the altar. Like, what, what is this? Altars, tabernacles, what's going on here? Well, when you come to a confusing part of the Bible, what's the first thing you should do? You know this, right? You call Jeff Dodge. <laughs> so you say, well, I don't have Jeff's number. I'll give it to you after the service. Anytime you're confused, you just Bible answer, man. Well, Jeff's not around. So what do you do? Uh, well, you read the context. Sometimes it helps it to slow down. Look at the verses all around it. Well, the context, last week, remember, it seems like there's this abrupt change because verse 7, he talks about your leaders. You know, last week, remember your leaders, evaluate their lives, imitate their faith. But then in verse 8, he says, but Jesus Christ, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I think what he's saying is these, these faithful, godly leaders, they're going to keep you on course, but ultimately, fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus, because he's the whole point of the Bible. Old Testament, he was there. New Testament, he's there. Today, he's here with us. Jesus Christ is, is the whole point. And just like chapter 12, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He's coming back to that point to saying, this is how you as a Christian are going to keep walking on the straight path is following Jesus Christ. In verse 9, he says, so don't be led astray. Don't be led astray. Don't let your, Jeff talked about this last week of being like pulled off the path to the, to the right or to the left. Don't be led astray. Well, how were these people being led astray? He says, by various kinds of strange teachings. I often think that it's greed, like what pulls people off the path of Christianity is like greed, love of money, you know, embezzling money or doing something shady with money, hoarding money. Or I think of the pursuit of power, you know, someone getting in a, in a position of power so they can domineer over, over all the people. And, or I think of sexual immorality often pulls people off the path, but it's none of those things here that's going to pull these people off the path. What is it here? He says it's strange teachings, ideas, thoughts. And here's the idea. What was it? What was the strange teaching? Well, I think it's interesting just thinking about this. You know what's strange because you know what normal is, right? That's how you identify something that's strange, is you have to know what normal is. 
That's a struggle in our world, right? Because everyone has all these moral judgments. You see it on social media, but, but nobody really has any basis or moral foundation or truth to stand on to say, that's not normal. Because, well, what's normal? What defines normal? Well, here he's saying, this is how you recognize what's strange, what's a lie. Verse 9, look at what he says. The, the truth, the foundation, he says, it's good for the heart to be established by grace. Established. You're standing on a firm foundation of what's the truth? What's the true teaching? It's grace. And if you veer away from grace, you're, you're going to be led astray. But that begs the question, what is grace? If you're supposed to be established in grace, and that's what keeps you from being pulled away from the true faith and life of following Jesus, what is that? Well, again, context. Where have we heard this word before in the book of Hebrews? Well, if you go back to Hebrews 4, you see 4.14 and 16. This is not a bad summary of even the whole book of Hebrews. Remember he said back in, in uh, chapter 4, verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Verse 16, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. So here's kind of a summary of the book of Hebrews. When you look at the Old Testament and, and you've read the stories of, of God and when people encounter God, what do they do? They, it's terrifying. It's terrifying to come into the presence of God, right? And here in chapter four, he's saying, because we have a high priest, Jesus, he walks us into the terrifying presence of God, but it's no longer terrifying. It's not a throne of fear where we have to earn God's approval. It's a throne of what? Of grace. Because why? Why is our experience of God a God of grace? Because we have a high priest. Jesus, he sacrificed himself for us. So when we think about this question, what is grace? And this is so important because if you, if you leave this, you leave Jesus. The throne of grace, this idea. Grace, this is an acrostic that I heard that, that I think is helpful. Grace, just write out the letters, G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. The free, unearned riches of God, God's riches at the expense of Christ. So these strange teachings, and this is something to notice, strange teachings always diminish the person of Jesus Christ and the work that he has done on the cross. Every cult, every false religion gets this wrong. Who is Jesus? What did he accomplish on the cross? This is the firm foundation that the writer of Hebrews wants us to stand on. So we still have an answer. We, this is what's normal. This is what's true. Grace, the grace that comes 
through Jesus Christ. But what is the strange teaching that's pulling them away? Look at verse 9. He said, it's good for the heart to be established by grace, not by food regulations. Now, before we mock them for being led astray by food regulations, because we would never do that, right? Uh, He says, let's look at the historical context here, because he's saying, since those who observe them, they've not benefited. We have an altar from which those who worship at the tabernacle do not have a right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by the high priest as a sin offering are burned outside the camp. Okay, here's what's going on. We can see from this, he talks about bodies being burned outside the camp. This is a reference to Leviticus 16. And there's this Jewish holiday. It's the most important day of the year for the Jewish people. It would be like our Good Friday or Easter, something like that. And it's called Yom Kippur. Yom means day, and Kippur means atonement or cleansing. Even today, uh, Jewish people will celebrate this day. I grew up watching the Cubs, you know, Harry Carey and Steve Stone. And Steve Stone would always be gone on Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur. It's like he's gone. Like, what's that holiday? Well, it's still happening today, right? Jewish people still celebrate this. It's the Day of Atonement. What is the Day of Atonement? You can read in Leviticus 16 what that day is. But it's the day that the high priest, once a year, would go into the temple and would take a, a goat and would place his hands on the goat's head, and he would confess all the sins of Israel. I don't know how long you would have been in there, because that would have taken a long time, but he's, he's putting the sins of Israel on this animal. The priest is kind of this, this mediator that's standing between God and people, putting the sins on this animal, and then... This animal is, is killed, the blood is, is put on the altar, but the animal, the, the body, the dead body of the animal is taken outside the camp. It's not allowed into the camp. Why, why is the carcass burned outside the camp? Well, the, the animal's body bears the curse of sin. It represents just filth and yuck and dirty sin. So it needs to be put outside the camp. The shame and dishonor of that dead body, get it out of the camp. Okay, now, now let's think about this for a minute. You know those, those traditions that we have that are super important, like families get together? When we talked about this, what do families do? They get together. Well, that's what Jewish family, they were actually even better at this than we are. Their festivals and meals, God commanded them basically to throw a big old party, like Passover, Yom Kippur, Feast of Tabernacles, these different feasts. He commanded them, when you guys get together, it's a party. It's a huge meal. Now imagine this, because we gotta, we've got to go back and put ourselves in the shoes of the people that are receiving this letter. Now, when your whole family, you're, you're a Jewish person living in the first century, on the most important holiday of the year, year, Yom Kippur, everybody's getting together. They're in the tabernacle, and they're sharing together in this feast of cleansing. Guess where you are not? 
you are not with them. Why? Because you're a Christian. You don't sacrifice anymore. So now you are outside the camp, along with those animals that are being burned outside the camp. That's where you are. So you now, because you are standing on the truth, are excluded. Now, the strange teaching was probably something like, well, if you're a true Christian, you'll still partake in Yom Kippur. You're still going to partake in the festival, right? Because you need Jesus, but you also need the, you know, you got to go through the motions of Judaism still and, and that type of thing. We don't know all of what's happening here, but there's some type of exclusion. You on the outside. Now, look what he says in verse 12. So what are we going to do about that? Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace. Jesus' death was humiliating. Humiliating. He was that animal where all the sins were put on that animal, and it's like, get it out of the tabernacle area. Get it outside the gate. For Jews to show that Jesus was completely cursed, cursed is the one who dies on a tree, get that curse out of the town. The cross of Christ was outside the gate. The place where the animal carcasses were burned. That's just such a terrible image of Jesus on the cross. And he seems to see this as a positive thing for us. You gained Jesus but you lost everything else. This is a point about grace here. Christians are established by grace, but excluded from the world. Why then would anyone in their right mind choose to join Jesus outside the camp? As he says, and bear the disgrace of the cross with Christ. Well, he says it's worth it, and here's the reason he gives. Look at verse 15. For we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. So here's what we're going to see as we kind of begin our descent in this text here is, is sort of the application is the, the thing is that grace doesn't just change what you believe like, I used to believe these facts, and now I believe these other facts. No, it changes your actions. It changes everything about your life. And the, the, the first thing that grace changes is what you seek. Grace changes the city you seek. That's why you showed up at church this morning, right? Because you're seeking a different city. 
You want to, you're seek, you're interested in the kingdom of God. That's why you're here this morning. You want to hear the teachings of Jesus and this hope of heaven that we have. So let me interrupt your social media news feed and give you a super important news flash. This is something you're not going to hear reported uh, on the, the AP news service or whatever. You're, you need to hear this. This city that you live in is not enduring. It's not going to last. I don't know about you guys, but do any of you feel like the world is just going crazy? <laughs> I mean, there's some laughs. Like, I can't even believe the kind of stuff. When I turn on the news, like, I, wait, people think this. Like, this, this is actually insane. This is crazy. Nobody, you can't even make this stuff up, right? That, that's how we feel. But here's the thing. If, follow, if you're following Jesus, it's normal for the world to feel strange, that's what's normal. Like, good. That's good. You turn on the news, you're like, yeah, it's, they're losing their minds. That's how it should feel as a Christian, right? It would be actually strange for the world to feel normal. If you turned it on, you're like, yeah, that's totally how it should be, right? We get it, right? Because we, we, can, we know what's strange because we know what's normal, right? People that are living in the world, they, they may not be able to articulate it. Like, yeah, the world, something's not right, but, but what is it? We don't know. We, we do know what's What's strange? A world that rejects Christ, um, refuses his ways. Um, but think about these, these first century Christians and, and what he's saying to them. He's like, it's, it's so worth it to bear the disgrace of Jesus. Because this city, it's, it's not enduring. In chapter 10, he's talked about, some of you guys have lost your properties over this, your faith. Imagine that. Imagine all of a sudden you lose your property. You're like, well, it doesn't matter. I have guns. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I, you, you lose your property because you are a Christian. So what are you going to do about it? You are taken to prison because you're a Christian, which is happening, right? Our brothers and sisters all over the world, experiencing this now. How does he counsel them to think like a Christian in this? He's saying, what an honor to bear the disgrace of Jesus. What an honor to be left out of the festival, to be with Jesus. And Jesus told us this, right? You, he says, you saw what, you're seeing what they do to me. A servant is not greater than his master. If they treated me this way, that's how it's going to go for you, right? That's, this is the normal experience of following Jesus. So if you could be that, just imagine um, going back to the, the junior higher middle school example. Imagine you could go back to your middle school as a 13-year-old. As a like, like you know everything you know now. Like you still have the maturity of your age and wisdom and, and, and you go back to middle school. Imagine what that would be like. You would, you would probably go through the whole day just laughing at the ridiculousness of it all, wouldn't you? Like, it wasn't funny back then, but now it's hilarious. 
like, oh, the things people will do to try to fit in. So you start laughing. And pretty soon, like, you don't have a table to sit at. And you're sitting alone in the cafeteria. And you're just laughing, right? Because it's hilarious. And you're sitting next to yourself at that real age, right? All of a sudden, there's someone else sitting alone. So you sit by them, and it's you. And you know what you would say to them? You know the advice you would give them. And they're like, oh, I just, I don't know what to do. I, I don't fit in anywhere. You'd be like, oh, don't worry. It ends. Like, it'll be over soon, right? That's what you'd say. Oh, don't worry about, yeah, that cool kid right now. Yeah, they're fill in the blank with whatever mess their life is. Don't, you don't want to be there. Trust me. That's what he's doing, right? We have a city. We have a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Why would we care about eating this festival meal inside the tabernacle altar where he says, these people don't have a right to eat at our altar? Yes, they're having a good time, but they have no business through their religious rituals, eating at the communion table, right? Endure the mocking for a short time. Orient your life around the kingdom of God. Jesus says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This would be your first application is seek the city with foundations. What does that mean to seek practically? Talk about it in your connection groups. Ask someone like, what are you doing to seek the city? Reading your Bible for sure, just remembering what life is like in the kingdom of God. Listening to the words of Jesus and obeying them. Trust and obey, even if it means people think you're crazy. I have loved seeing a hundred guys pack out that equipping room on Wednesday mornings. It is a blast. Because seeing all these, these guys that are like, I, I want in on the kingdom. That's, that's the kind of stuff kingdom people do. Is you, that's why you're here this morning, right? You're here because you're seeking the city. You want to be reminded. And then look in verse 15, the other, therefore, it says, therefore, through him, through him, Jesus, we, we don't need an earthly high priest to put our sins on a goat, right? Through Jesus, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise that is a fruit of lips that confess his name. The second thing that grace does is that grace changes the songs you sing. Grace changes the songs you sing. You used to sing, I was in a, I was in a fraternity, and, and I remember um, on Friday nights, you know, everyone's doing their thing, and the alcohol is flowing freely, and um, I'm like the one sober person in the whole fraternity, and, and I was like, get your guitar, sing us some songs, right? They wanted to, they're drunk and they want to sing. I just had the few songs that I pull out, the, the crowd loved it, and they're all singing along to these songs, and, and you know, that's kind of a picture of what the world does, like, they have songs that they sing, like, there's artists that fill stadiums, concerts. It's pretty cool. It's almost a spiritual experience, right, to go to a, a concert, sing along with the songs from your favorite artist. But, but when grace gets in you, 
it gives you a different song, right? Some of you guys wonder, like, yeah, Veritas, they sing a lot. Oh, totally. We sing all the time because of this verse and verses like it. Because when grace gets in you, it, it erupts in song, the fruit of lips that confess the name of Jesus. Not just like pagan bar songs, right? It's, it's confessing Jesus in song. And I love how it says continually. Let us continually. Remember, again, the context brings life to this word because their worship was not continual. Their worship was an event, right? They would go on Sabbath, and then once a year, they would go and the high priest would offer this sacrifice. And so they would go through the motions of religion, but it was very compartmentalized. And what he's saying is, as a Christian, grace changes the way you think about church because church is no longer like a thing that I do. It's like I I did my religious thing for the day. It's all of life now. It's continual. It's living a life in the presence of God through Jesus. And, I'm, and what's on my heart is, is worship, songs. I hope that Sunday is not the only time that, that you sing a song to Jesus. My brother-in-law is, is an example for me in this um, when we stay at their house out in California, I'll uh, be sleeping in the, in the guest bedroom, and I'll hear a faint song at about 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. And one of the things my brother-in-law does is uh, he sings. He has a habit of just singing. And he's got a list of songs, and he'll, he'll pick one and, you know, Every once in a while, my dad will ask him, hey, what was your song today? And he always has a song. That's a pretty cool example, isn't it? Just have a song to sing. Uh, as I was studying for this, just preparing, trying to apply this, I went back to some songs. I, Keith Green is an artist that just, just uh, is kind of part of my God story, and I'm just listening to Keith Green. Like, some of you guys have a song. There's a connection group in Veritas, I always used to, I don't know if they still do this, um, but they would share a song. Every week, someone would get to bring their song. Like, what's a song that's been meaningful to you in your life? And they got to talk about why this song was meaningful, and then they would bring it. They would actually play it, and everyone would listen to it. This is the kind of people we should be, because grace changes the song that we sing. Verse 16, the last thing he says, so... Don't neglect to do what is good and to share. For God is pleased with such sacrifices. The last point here is that grace changes the person you please. God is pleased with the sacrifices of what? Generosity, sharing, goodness, obedience. And why? Why does grace change this? Because it it changes the person we please. Who did we please before grace? We pleased ourselves. We pleased others. Before Christ, we lived for the approval of other people. We needed approval, right? We needed people to verify that we are righteous, that we're good, right? 
So we, we post this stuff on social media I, just to declare, I'm a good person. Here's, let's, hey, family picture at Yom Kippur. Look, we're all good, right? We're a good Jewish family. We're a good Christian family. I think we will have pictures next week. It'll be great. Uh, but the point here is, Living for the approval of others is how we live before Christ. But now, we don't care about our giving being seen. We don't need our name on a plaque or on a building or on social media. It's an, an overflow of grace is to share. I mean, that's what grace is. Grace is that God shared his gift with us, and so we just share our gifts with others because we have an audience of one now. We're pleasing God, not people. God, he frees us to live for his approval, not other people's. And his approval we already have because of grace. We have nothing to prove. And that's so freeing. It frees us to be a generous people who share. These new Christians were struggling with being excluded, like that 13-year-old middle schooler. That's us, Christian. We walk around in a world excluded, and it's worth it because he says, we are bearing the disgrace of Christ. So really the question here as we close is just where do you belong? Where do you belong? And once you settle that question, you're gonna, it's going to free you from pleasing people because you're going to be like, I, I belong to Jesus. That's enough. I don't, I don't need anyone's approval because I belong to Jesus and, and there's this, uh, this New City Catechism, and it says it this way. It's this adaptation of this old Heidelberg Catechism that asks the question, what is your only hope in life and death? I think it's on the screen. What is your only hope in life and death that we are not our own but belong body and soul both in life and death to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ? This is one of the most important things you need to know. This is the first question in the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only hope in life and death that we are not our own but belong body and soul in life and in death to God and our Savior, Jesus Christ? I'm gonna um, walk up the stage and we're gonna turn our attention to the screen here in one second. The story you're about to hear as we close is the story of what this passage looks like in real life. How somebody who belongs to Jesus lives their life in the midst of one of the greatest fears that we all have of, of death itself. And whose lips confess the name of Jesus. I want us to, to see this video. Turn your attention to the screen. <laughs> 